Oh, 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 that means go. Thank you guys for joining us. Pro Sound Web Signal to Moise podcast. <laughs> Dude, without the music, it's horrible. <laughs> this is weird. I just you're, did a shot. You're gonna get it, man. Every, you know what? It's 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 always a new adventure. Every every episode, That's it. We'll, do it live. Been, so. we'll do yeah, it live. We'll do it live. Four, three, two, one. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. Welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm Kyle Churnside. Tonight we're joined by my two amazing co-hosts that have been working their buns off this week and while i've been sitting around playing call of duty and hanging out with my daughter chris leonard and michael lawrence thank you for joining us and tonight on the show we have our new friend which we've just been talking uh i think we've met we've definitely crossed paths uh chris so. rubble <laughs> Ray, it's Raybold, and, uh, although I have Raybold. I have a, a, a number of peers that call me any number of names for a number of years, and I just let it slide. But. We've got the dual Chris's in the house tonight again. So yeah. it's <laughs> yes, we had we just had Chris Mitchell on the show, and I, I as soon as we started, I realized that no one would know who I was talking to. So, so you we got what? the Raybold, and we got the Leonard in the house. That's funny. I saw. I don't know Chris, but I saw him post something on social media. He always, he's always doing neat stuff. He seems like a neat guy. I want to listen to that. I want to hear what he has to say. Oh wait, he, we're talking about the other Chris. Yeah, Chris Mitchell is insane. <laughs> like Chris, he's Leonard, brilliant man. He's a genius. Just a dad. Yeah. <laughs> just a just a good dad. Great. No, Chris Mitchell's always like, um, you know, I don't like, I got this old analog console that I found and I don't like the bandwidth of the EQ. So I'm going to oh. take it apart and swap out the inductors. Uh, like that's where he's at. Yeah, he's on a different I'm planet. Because I'm so not that guy on a skill set. Um, but that's the stuff I sit around and think about. Ooh, I wish this would do that. And the guys that can kind of make it happen. Like I, I marvel at that. I think that's cool. Yeah. So. Well, it's, uh, we'll have to hook you guys up. It'll be, uh, it'll be, uh, Pretty cool. So, uh, for those who are unaware, our guest tonight, Chris Rabel, is is uh, he's mixed a bunch of artists. He's probably best known for front of house for Bruno Mars. He's also worked with Beyonce, Lady Gaga, and uh, Kenny Chesney. Also, um, Chris, thanks for being here, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah welcome. Here. Thanks, guys. Thank you, so, I mean, where do we start? I mean, Bruno Mars is is one of the the top performers in the world. It's he's, it's absolutely magnetic to watch on stage. It's, it's a it's a phenomenal show. Um, what's it like to be a part of that, man? It's cool. And it's unlike, I mean, you know, everybody will say this, but you know, they've all got their pluses. They've all got their minuses, but there is something that separates that one, at least from the pop gigs that I've done. Um, that makes it a, and I mean this, like, you know, I really, I, I really dig it. That being said, it's also probably one of the most, maybe, yeah, no, it's probably the most challenging one I've ever done. Um, do you find yourself dancing at front of house for real? Come on now. I, I'd be dancing my ass off. I'm like most guys. There's certain songs that if everything's going well, I can't help it, but I'll, you know, I'll move a little bit, but, uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't have to hold myself down very much. I would struggle with that. Cause you know, I, I, his, his Super Bowl halftime performance a couple of years ago was just the craziest thing ever. It was great. So it's I just, fantastic. I haven't gotten a chance to see, yeah, I haven't seen Bruno in concert, but I, I'd really like to, it just seems uh, like a, just a hell of an experience. Yeah. He's everything that you, you, you think he would be as on a performance level and on a creative level. You know what I mean? 
So I saw an interview uh, with you, I think it was either two or three years ago, and it was, you know, about when Bruno was going on a tour, and I guess I guess he said something like, hey, I want I want to give the fans, I want them to leave and say, that's this is the best show I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He said, I want the best lighting, I want the best video, I want the best sound. I mean, that that that's a pretty high bar. How did you approach that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the way he thinks. That's kind of what I mean. Like, it's it's amazing to watch, but it's also super challenging. So it's like, you know, a lot of things in life that, you know, that kind of push you, but then that's the most rewarding. Um, that's just sort of his thing, man. He just only knows how to swing for the fences on all fronts. And he's a, a lifelong performer and he's got that thing. And I've been fortunate to see a lot of this in the past decade with people I've worked with, but he's got that thing where he knows, and I could have, I could say this about a, a number of performers, but he's probably the best. He just knows where every camera is, where every light is, every note that's being played, every, he's just somehow aware of it all. You know what I mean? So, uh, and he's not that old either, is he? He's fairly young for a performer right now. Not compared I, to you, he's not that old. He's, <laughs> he's Bruno, you know, he's early 30s, you know, like I think 33, 34, somewhere in there. So, uh, he's just aware, he's a natural, and he's got, you know, the whole as cliche as it is, he's got it, he has it in spades, you know. So let's get into the the nerdy stuff. I know a lot of folks want to know about the gear. Like, tell us about your console setup and, you know, how you're laying that out, man. Sure. And I was just thinking tonight, this is an interesting time to talk to me about that because I, I think I'm on the cusp of getting ready to do some things differently because, like most people, I've had kind of a tried and true setup for a while. And as much as I want to drift from it, if I have, I want to get results fast, so I typically go to it. So um, when it comes to Bruno, now I, I'm flexible of course, like I just did a bunch of Alicia Keys stuff last year and into this year. And all of that was just in the box. There's no frou-frou. I take that back. I did have stereo bus stuff with me for some of them, but most of it was just in the box. So this is not set in stone, but when, the question that you're asking, when I've got my big rig, there's it's always, uh, it's, it's typically an SD7. Uh, it's usually an SD7. On Kenny, I actually use a uh, SSL, uh, 500 that's souped up to be the 550, I guess, <clears throat> if that's a thing. I'm under the impression that's a thing. And then there's always a big, there's a pile <laughs> of outboard gear. Not as much as I've used at times, but there's there are, there are analog pieces. And then there's usually a wave server, not always. And then there is always, uh, these days, a uh, live rack, UAD live rack. So that's as far as mixing, you know what I mean? And, um, there's an analog clock. I always forget the name of which model I use now, which I know is terrible, but uh, that I can't. I can't remember. I have to look it up every time. But that's kind of the gist of it. That's, and we can go from where, however, where you want to go to from there. But that's, in a nutshell, what it looks like. So it's sizable. Mine's one of those, not totally gigantic, but it's it's a little bigger than most, you know. So, um, <clears throat> you know, you have your standard rig, but you're using two different consoles and the two different acts. What what draws you to one console for one well, act versus the other? Or, yeah, or? that's a great question. And I very much am as neutral as it gets and as Switzerland as I can be when it comes to consoles. Like, it's not just lip service when I say there's so many great options out there. Like, I truly, truly believe that. And I didn't believe that early on. And I don't think a lot of people did with digital consoles. But now it's just like, it's hard to know which way to go. So, um I jumped back and forth when I got on a digital. I used Midas back in the day, the you know XL4s, XL3s, 
and then jumped on Dick. Yes. Pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Oh, it's great. Kyle, Kyle knows what those are. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, oh my God, I miss them every day. So anyway, jumped, went back and forth between Digico and um, Digidesign slash Avid. Then when my input numbers got so large, I had, like, the only, bu- the only desk that could do it was the, uh, was SD7, you know? So anyway, so that just pushed me over there, and it's just the default for myself and a lot of people, and I know why. Just It does sound great. It doesn't color the sound in any way, so you get to do what you want to do with it, but it has a bazillion features, uh, you know, ins and outs. It's laid out in a sensible way. So I, that's just what I default to now. I'm super interested in a lot of the desks. I love the Yamaha. I, want, I, I really want some of the plug-in functionality, some of the other stuff of the Avid. I keep threatening to do that. Um, and with Kenny, I basically was offered, hey, the company, you know, uh, Morris was talking about they wanted, they were going to get some SSLs and would I be interested? And that gig, the time I'd done it before, was one of those, hey, can you get on a plane in four days kind of things. And they had a Midas in place. And I was like, all right, this is already a challenge. I'll make it even more so. I'll, I'll learn the Midas and do this new gig all at once. So I'd already done it on an unfamiliar one. I was like, you know what? That's what this gig will be for me. This is the one where I try stuff. Long-winded answer for that's how I got on the SSL there. But usually it's the SD7. It's just got a million ins and outs and its flexibility and the speed, the faders, the meter bridge. That's a gigantic one for me. Um, So I tend to land there. I mean, I I really admire that because a lot of guys, I was just on the phone yesterday with our our good friend, Jim Yakabuski, who's been on our show a couple of times now. And, um, you know, we were talking about how massive of an undertaking it is for your typical front of house engineer to change console platforms and, you know, how how long it, yeah, how long it takes before you really feel comfortable and and feel like you can work quickly. And so, you know, for you to just go, yeah, hey man, I'll, I'll try a new one. I think that, I mean, that's really cool. And it kind of reminds me of when I was like, you know, 19 years old and I was on a different console every night and I had never seen any of them. (laughs) And I appreciate that sentiment. Mind you, that leap of faith was taken five years ago and it's about the only one I've taken since, you know? So, you know, it's, I don't do it all the time, but I'm very mindful of that. I have grown accustomed to building my mixes certain ways, having X amount of time, blah, 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 blah. And and I'm not on different desks all the time. And sometimes I'm like, "Eh, you know what? I think that's good for you. I think the change it up is good, you know? So, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. It keeps you on your toes. I was going to say real quick, a lot of times though, if you know how it is, if you've got to get results quick, you're like, "Mm, I'll, I'll try something next time. How about I nail this gig on day one? You know, that's the goal. So, and that's something that we talked about with Pooch, kind of when's the trade-off between, uh, well, I'll use what, what, what you give me versus, no, I'm going to bring my own desk for this one, you know, or, or even I'm going to buy my own desk just right. so you have that stability and that consistency when you need it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, and, I, and I'm spoiled, and I know that. You know, with the majority of my gigs, it's, you know, it's, I can use what I want. Um, but every now and again, that's, that's not the case, and then it's, you know, then you just, you adapt. But um, I think to jump platforms all the time, be really fluent on a lot, a lot of desks is, that's, a, that's a, a ninja-esque, pretty cool skill to have, you know. Yeah, I mean, di- di- I mean, different guys in the field need different skills. So, I mean, you know, you, you yourself you have the luxury of, you know, <clears throat> working with the same artist every night on tour. So you have the time to actually build build that console file and take your time. And so even if the desk isn't set up for you to be, you know, slam and go at a festival, it works for you. Whereas some guys who need to be able to, 
you know, a freelancer is working for a company bouncing console to console, they need to be somewhat semi-fluent between 10 different consoles. So that's a, that's a def- different acquired skill set for sure. Yeah, I notice it when we go to, when I do festivals or this or that, and I'll see the staff and they'll, they will have from their own company, they'll have four different consoles and they're, everybody's fluent on all of them. And I'm always really impressed by that, you know, with that, that sort of knowledge base <clears throat> on the company level when guys, they can, they might not be super fantastic at all four of them, but they'll know four of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's, I, you know, I know me, I've been a company guy my whole life. So, I mean, that was like part of my gig is like, you know, you know, some of these acts would come through and you got your white glove engineers that come through again, nothing wrong with being a white glove engineer, but like, you know, you got, you know, you got PA and console du jour and like, you're you're responsible for if that guy has only touched hasn't touched that console for two months and he needs to route something real quick or whatever. Like I kind of thrived on being like, oh yeah, we'll just go to this part of the menu. And I here, love that. Yeah, I yeah. did Alicia Key stuff. I did last year. I ran into Firehouse on a bunch of shows, and there was a few times where, like one night, I came in and I had to restructure from SD10 to an SD7, and something was weird and it was like me and this dude just like riffing like hey man hey do you know how to do blah 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 he's like yeah I think you do this well maybe you do this it was kind of had a little jam session you know and uh, I appreciated his it was it was a cool interaction I remember this one specific occasion where that came up lately it was just like man these guys know a lot about a lot of different stuff you know so how are you approaching building building these mixes? I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about the the artists that we named off. They all have a reputation for great sound, you know, and and great studio recordings. So I mean, are you are you using virtual sound check and playback? How are you how are you setting that up? Yeah, I'm pretty dependent on it at this point. Um, I um or I utilize it to. I think virtual playback, virtual sound check. Um, it is. It's kind of like ear monitors. It's 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 been the, one of the greatest things that could have ever happened to our industry, and it's also one of the worst because people can dig themselves in the holes and get overcomplicated and do things that work in the cans, but not on a you know. There's a number of ways it can go wrong, but um, yeah. I mean, my way. It's funny. I was just today. I was out getting some air, and I was thinking. I was like, you know what? I just need to build like blank templates for in the Digico offline software because I do the same thing with every act. You know what I mean? It really doesn't matter the genre. They typically look the same as far as my routing and my bussing goes. But, um, you know, usually I'll, whatever, I'll build a show file, come in, track, and I've got a very systematic way of the way I do my gain structure. Um, it's all based on peak level, and it's all, it's just, I can kind of, I can dial it in quick and know I'm close. Well, I'll watch those levels fluctuate as rehearsals go on, but I'm real big on, you know, I'll knock stuff out right then and there, depending on who needs to hear it when, you know, but, uh, f- but most of the time I really can't wait until I can get to that playback. Cause that's when you dig in, you know, that's when you really zero in on the details and this, like the tidying up and that, that extra 5%. So I'm, I'm, I enjoy it, and it's helped my career tremendously. And that goes back to your mention at the beginning about the meter bridge. Like, um, I, I always hate the the digital representation of the meter bridge because I was used to traveling with an XL4 for a long time, and that that's why I took that thing is because of the accuracy that I could get my gain structure. I in. love it. And, yeah, and, and like for virtual sound check to be able to come back through and see the DB loss of what the playback is going to be. And it's it just, it's almost a necessity, especially in those quick gigs where you have to get stuff up and going. And I'm sure like how many times do you walk into a Chesney gig or a Bruno gig where you get a sound check from your band? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and for me, once we get rolling, I ask the band not to sound check. I don't like sound checks. I, yeah. it's I, at this point for me, I know what is. I know what is. I just know what a system's going to do, and I know what a room's going to do within reason. Don't get me wrong. I too get out there, and I'm suddenly captaining a ship, and there's like seventy foot swells, and we're all going to die. Like it goes wrong. But for the most part, <laughs> yeah. for the most part, I know what the room's going to do. I, I'm, I've always been as into tuning systems as I am in, in, into mixing, and I know what the rooms are going to do. This and that. So if I know my mix is solid, you know, it's that separation of church and state. If I know my mix is what it is. And I know the room is what it is. I'd rather wait till we can put all this together in the actual listening environment with people, because it sounds. Well, I'm stealing that now. That's my new favorite phrase. I'm saying that all the time. There you go. Separation of church and state. <laughs> it's true, though, you know. And it's like because guys and gals get up there and they just they they tweak, even if they know intellectually this is not how the room's going to sound. It affects them, and it affects me. And I don't want to make a change based on an environment that's not going to exist. So, and then when people change and that could be include me, then you'll spend three songs with everybody getting back to where they've been the whole tour anyway. So I just ask them, it's like, I try to talk people out of sound checking once we're rolling, you know? Um, so, which is different from a lot of people. I, I, I do know that, but I, I'd rather not do them once we're going. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so Bruno is very um, heavy on horns, and mm-hmm. that's not, not something we've really talked about before. So what's um, what what does that look like for you um, in terms of signal chain? Uh, you doing type of like double bussing, uh, yeah. parallel compression? I don't know. How how are you treating the horns to make them kind of you know sit in your face but not be harsh? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and you know, there's nothing. There's certain things in live sound that are like super cheap tricks. I mean, they are the absolute like breakaway layup they're gonna work uh, to make a crowd move <laughs> you know like a big tom roll where it's you know a huge one that's like ridiculously lo- probably louder than it should be but effective in the environments that we mix someone raking down a piano in some jerry lee lewis type you know sort of bit of excitement that'll get a crowd going um and horn steps just horns you know what i mean like that just makes people move and so, in, ironically, with the Bruno thing, what's so amazing about what those guys are trying to do, they're all moving. They're dancing while they're doing that stuff, you know? So I've gone around. With nice and, jackets on, too. i got to say, they got the vests going. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've gone, and I, I, I'm going to have to commit to this phrase because it's what came to mind, but I've gone around the horn trying to figure out what to, how to deal with them. And I've listened to a lot of stuff, and I also think about, as I start to dig into old, like, any place where there's horns from, you know, from James Brown on up, anything you could reference with big horn sections, even stuff that's not that, you know, R&B-ish. I'm like, please don't let there be a lot of huge panning. Please don't let there be. A, and you won't, you don't find that. It's usually kind of more in the center, which for us is good. Cause as you know, in live, it's, we we're risking it. If we start spreading things too wide and a section is one thing. So basically there's not, they don't get panned out too far. A lot of times I'll leave the trombone just because that is the most low end, content or it can in this particular situation i'll leave him in the middle i'll split the sax and the trumpets just a little like i'm talking like 11 on a scale of whatever digico does i guess it's zero to 100 um i mean they're just barely spread sometimes maybe out into the 30s numerically there but what happens is is they will each get 
it's a roving DPA. So it could be near a drum kit. It could be anything. So I, obviously I watch the high pass and I watch the low pass on those because you can get a lot. I don't low pass stuff at all, but I will do that on something like horns merely as damage control so that it's not getting a lot of symbol. And I'm talking like 11K. And I realize there's air is gone there, but the way we use it, it's kind of okay. So anyway, I'll do that. I really only do corrective stuff on them. I don't boost a lot on the individual ones. I will, and I'll find just, I'll literally just look for a frequency, you know, and be like, what is that? 780 Hertz. Okay, cool. We'll boost that a few dB. Like not much. It's usually corrective. Those guys all get bust and they do get compressed a little bit, but it's more in the limiting sense, just on peaks. Then they go to a bus. Um, and then that bus I, I may just use the console for dynamics or I may throw a series of plugins on there, maybe some saturation too. Anyway, they get treated as one and that's what I work off of. That's what I send effects from. It gets further EQ'd. And um, as far as processing, I do sometimes use like a pitch shift, some sort of modulation way, way, way low, way down there, sometimes with inverse panning too. So if the trumpet's to the left, it's pitched brethren is now to the right. And then just a verb, you know, here lately I've been using, I know the UAD uh, 250 and that's really about it, you know? So, um, but I try to, I do that with everything though. Everything gets, if it's a blend at all, it gets sent to a bus and created as one. And then I'm really trying my best to only think about that one thing, that that's the sound. So I don't know if that kind of paints a picture of what I'm doing there. No, no, that's that, that's great. Um, how about um, uh, the horns and the background vocals? Is there ever a battle there for that space? Yeah, of course. I mean, the thing with here's the deal with a lot of like no one does it, but I'm the most. If there's anything I'm so proud of with Bruno is, and this is a modern gig. It's a pop gig, so there's some playback in there, but it's not. It's you know, there's a lot of things in pop music where it is just things flaming, everything flaming on everything. You know what I mean? It's all in the box and it's all live. And there's some fantastic drummer that his kick is constantly flaming with some program beat when, you know, there's things. Anyway, we've done a really good job of pulling stuff out. So there's no, there's not some swampy synth pad going on in the track that then the keyboard player is also playing it himself. There's like, there's only kind of effects-based things, but things that are super specific were made in the studio and it'd be really hard to duplicate live. That'll still be in the track. Um, and then around that, we sprinkle in the live stuff. So it is a, it, it's a true mix, you know what I mean? And there's really nothing being doubled and there's nothing unnecessary, as much of it as live as possible. That being said, with pop music now, if you listen, there's a lot of times there's super, um, there's amazing things going on with like vocal effects or this or that. But a lot of times they're fairly sparse arrangements and it's very purposeful. So there's space and it feels great. And then artists take that and we put it live and they just they just want to make it more. You know, live is synonymous with more, bigger, louder, better. So what you end up with a lot of times live and pop mixes on tours these days are just these super busy mixes. And even though Bruno as a producer is great about not going too far with that kind of stuff, a lot of times you do end up with even on your most chill mix you just have a lot of pieces you've got a full band and track so it's not just the background vocals that those horns might fight with like it's just everything is fighting for space um so speaking for about fighting for space uh one of your first gigs i read an article about you before uh 
we started this thing and it was really cool. You're kind of uh, getting into the humble beginnings of widespread panic. Uh-huh. And and that had to be a demanding gig just as, as much as Bruno because of the space that's created with that band playing. And, um, yes. so, so do you take things from that and apply them now? A million percent. And, you know, that was one of the things with something like widespread, it was, it's a lot of inputs. Now it's not in the hundreds, like, you know, a lot of some things I find myself doing these days, but for, uh, you know, not some gigantic, huge arena tour, but a, a reputable, you know, size tour, there was a lot of, you know, we were in the seventies, eighties, somewhere around that. So I'm like learning Essentially, I mean, because even when you become a professional, hell, I mean, today, I would hope all of us are still learning. Man, I'm just trying things out, but I'm doing it with a fairly dense mix. And even though there's direction in that, there's a lot of competing, there were a lot of competing elements. And so trying to learn how to make space, which for me, fortunately, I mean, I was there for a number of years before virtual playback of any sort entered my world. But then once it did, oh my God. I mean, you know, I would sit around, I would stay up all night long. I'd go up to the eighth day shop in Cleveland, sleep at the shop, stay at the shop because I'd hang out during the day and talk to people. And at about eight o'clock at night, I'd really get working. And I'd just stay up all night long um, until literally till the sun came up, just playing back and learning how to move things around and mix in that. Anyway, yes, that was a hugely beneficial thing for me with just making space and sometimes making space where it really wasn't there, where it was really busy, but we need everything to be heard. Um, and so, yeah, that was a great uh, training ground for a lot of what was to come. I believe it like super organic band. I'm not too big in the hippie stuff, but I've seen widespread a bunch of times. And when it goes into the jam session, like that's, that's a sound guy's nightmare. Sometimes if you don't know how to make that space and make things happen. And honestly, yeah. Or man, if you're like with it, um, it's as you talk about performing with the band, cause there's no snapshots, you know what I mean? There's no, it's, you're just, you're on. And and if you're, your make your static mix is good. You in theory don't have to move the faders a lot, but we know that's not true. Like, you know, in something like that, you are enhancing what's going on at any given moment and you're playing in time with them because there's really no rules. So, um, and a lot, I've thought here lately at this a number of times over the years as I've become more and more snapshot dependent because I really have to be. Um, I'm like, you know, this makes me a lazy mixer in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah. But you had to do. You had to put all the work into those snapshots first. So I mean, it makes oh, it's just a different. The, it's totally different, and it's beautiful. They're both absolutely wonderful ways of mixing. You know, from the totally organic, like okay, here we go, to the this thing is in the exact same spot every night, and we play it the exact same way every night. You know, in a lot of those big tours, the way I describe it to people, I'm like, look, this is like a mass-produced product. Like we are McDonald's. Everybody wants their same Big Mac everywhere, every night, wherever they go. You know what I mean? Like we, and it's like how perfect, how consistent can you get it versus something like widespread where it's like, all right, what are we doing tonight? You know? Um, And I think on shows like widespread, people expect, because there's a lot of like people who would follow them around, I imagine. And they they expect that variety each night. Whereas your average like Bruno person, they're only going to see them most likely in one city and they're going to expect it to sound exactly like the record. They're going to have exactly like the record or, you know, or or like, you know, they're, and I I think I mentioned that to somebody and something similar to this that I did recently that it's like, 
you know, there's elements in the song that, that they'll change live depending on the artist, you know, a little bit this and that, but it's like the hook, that hook, whatever that is, whatever they listen to a bazillion times and it's a bazillion people were talking about doing it, like you better be sure that is 1,000% spot on every night. So it's just, there are two different ways and it took me a long time to go from the kind of rock jam band, you know, sort of somewhat loose thing to go into this, the exact opposite, super structured make it exactly the same every day. And at first I kind of struggled with the concept and then I was like, no, find a way to make this as challenging, as fun as the other stuff was. So uh, you mentioned Bruno being very um, involved in terms of all the elements of the show, everything from the choreography, the lighting and so forth. So from a sound standpoint, um, how much interaction do you have directly with him? And like, I guess more so early on in terms of, you know, as he's crafting his sound is to maybe hear something that like doesn't work and he's either telling you to fix it or then he's telling the band, Hey, we need to make this work because it's just not translating the right way. How does, how does that dynamic go? Mm-hmm. He, he specifically, you know, and I enjoy working with artists. I like that. That's I like to. Ultimately, we all work for them, but I enjoy working with them and um, and the ones that are engaged and that do want to talk. And Bruno is that to the extreme. Like I, I talk to him far more than any of the you know people I've worked with in the past ten years, just because he's and because he's real and he can have a conversation with you that doesn't take you know thirty four levels of you know, other people to talk to. Um, so he's super involved and, and he will ask constantly, you know, how is it, how's it sound? What's this? I mean, he, he wants to know. Um, and you know, it's live is so, if you're in the studio, a lot of times the numbers are lower. A lot of times it's just the producer and the engineer and the band. That's a lot of personalities in and of itself. When you get into the live thing, then you get into, you know, the text and the this and the that and the, you know, if I make a suggestion to the artist, I then need to go talk to the, you know, the, the principal. I then need to go talk to the player as well because I don't want to be like, yeah, such and such sucks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> to the artist while that person's listening. There's got to be like, I got to be thinking as I make this suggestion, how also do I handle this politically with that person? If I think what they're doing. Yeah, politics, exactly. The That's politics. the right word, politics. So you've yeah. got, and then like not only that guy, am I going to step on his text feelings? And of course, ultimately, you can't worry about that. You just got to do the, the best job you're going to do. And my, what I guess I'm thinking of all that stuff because I want to lead the path of least resistance. And it's like, how do I do this is honestly really answer his question, but be respectful to everybody else involved because you know what? That's going to get us there quicker. So for somebody like Bruno, he wants to know and he does ask a lot. That doesn't mean I always, I mean, he'll shoot me down in a heartbeat. And, uh, and you know, and that's his right. That's his prerogative. So, but he's very involved, but it's cool because I don't, have to interpret through anyone what he said. You know, it can be verbal, it can be over the phone, it could be a text. I know exactly. Um, and Bruno's like a lot of artists. He does, and he'll tell you, he doesn't always know the technical name of what he wants, but he does know what he wants. But sometimes you really got to talk and figure out, okay, you know, like someone mentioned to me recently, I work with an artist, and uh, her, her, her is one of these things where her guy came up and talked to me, and he's like, she thinks it's a little harsh. She came out in the house. And I'm like, cool, that's feedback. And then I'm like, okay, harsh is like four octaves wide that I know it's in there somewhere, but I'm not going to sit there digging in the wrong spot. And it turned out what this artist meant was roughly from like 1.25 to 2K. That was their version of harsh. 
So anyway, the thing is you have to know that you're, you're interpreting what they're saying right because they're not, a lot of these people, they're not going to give you frequencies when we're talking on mixing stuff. Whereas you might hear something and go, oh, you know what, I know how I can do that. And I really don't need to turn something up. I just need to make room for it in this range, something like that. So, um, so yeah, Bruno's super involved. Well, that's, that's really interesting because we've talked a lot in, in the last few episodes. We've had a bunch of monitor engineers on. You know, and we were talking a lot about, well, how do you interpret the feedback from the artist you're mixing for in terms of what they're hearing in their head? Um, so, you know, the fact that you sort of have to apply that to the front of house approach, I think, is really interesting. Um, one thing that you said, you talked about consistency, um, which, you know, as as a system engineer, that's sort of that's the name of the game, um, not only night to night, but also throughout the space. And you have on Chesney, you've one of the one of the, who I consider one of the best system techs in the business. Um, so what's your relationship with your system tech when you're, when you're going into a venue, you know, I, I always say I've got a, some guys just say, Hey, make me sound good. Yeah. Um, and some guys want to, you know, Hey, give me the smart rig, give me the DSP and go get a sandwich. And now, so where are you on that spectrum? And now I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. Who, wait, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, uh, Sully, man. Oh, Sully, for sure. I'm just making sure because we actually on this upcoming run, uh, you know, uh, Spoiler alert, Sully actually can't do it because, well, this is before everything got crazy, but he's got something going on where he's mixing. So, uh, it's, man, it's the first time in like years we haven't done stuff together. And he and I did, uh, Bruno's, for a number of years, we were, had been attached at the hip. In fact, I called him today. I think he's like the, the one other human, him and Pooch and my friend Charles, who's Bruno's studio engineer. Those are the three humans I've spoke to today, other than my daughter. <laughs> So uh, well, tell him I said, hey, I, I have not met him, but I'm a fan of his work. So he's phenomenal. <laughs> and what was great about Sully, so there's no more important uh, relationship I can have out there. You know what I mean? Particularly because I like to. So what I need, I want a super G. I want I want this, the guy. I want the most badass dude there is out there. But that for me is even more specific. Like that means something very specific. I need somebody. Now there's such a huge IT component with this. I need the guy that's super savvy in that. Now I'll find that a lot. Can't believe I'm finally at the point where I say this, but in the younger, younger generation, everybody's IT savvy. Everybody's computer savvy. Everyone's super swift at that. What I don't find a lot are people with that skill set that are also good critical listeners. And so there are those two things that are very important. Then I need someone who is okay with me doing my thing. So there, and it's usually the ones that have the most confidence that are okay with this. In other words, I, I don't design, I don't set up the PA. I mean, I don't design it. You know, I don't shoot the room. I don't do any of that, this or that. But when it comes to tuning, Sully's the first guy that, and this took a year for me to like not do the alignment myself. I mean, I like doing all of it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't do the component check. I don't do this and that. But when I come up, I like to align it. I like to tune every last bit of it. And off we go. And I got to the point with Sully where I, he was doing more of that and I was coming in. But then I want somebody that I can then tune in conjunction with. I'm steering and, you know, I'm looking. I have very specific curves that I'm looking for. Um, and I have a way, a way on the big tours that I like to do it with, you know, averaging of, of usually four sources and all this other stuff that I like to do. But it can't be someone who that steps on their toes where they're sitting there upset because well I do that. It I I want I like to do it in a way where no man we're doing it together. I just really know what I want and I value you I value you more probably than anybody else you've ever worked with because I get it because if it doesn't start right on the systems end it's a wrap. It's like reverse mastering. You know what I mean in our in our business. It's like that 
the mix is one thing, but if it's that palette is not set correctly from the jump, it's all for naught. And your super consistent mix that I'm saying I feel so confident in that I don't want to sound check suddenly doesn't mean anything. So I work super closely with that. And as far as Sully goes, unbelievable. Like he and I, man, brothers, to, to, like professionally and then and then as friends as well. So um, I don't have enough good things to say about him. He's amazing. And he's a killer mixer too. So he's listening with a musical ear. He's listening. Uh, he's, you know, it's, it's just finding somebody that's kind of the total package. So I guess what I said was technical acumen, critical listening, but then, you know, ego attitude, like the right kind. It's somebody that wants to work with me. That's not going to be upset that I'm doing some of the things that they typically do. Well, I love what you said about, you know, like, you know, I know what curve I want and, mm -hmm. you know, as a system engineer, I'm like, great, let's have it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Cause that, at the end of the day, you can have whatever curve you want. You know, I, I'll, I'm going to do my best to get that curve in as many seats as possible. But, mm -hmm. you know, what what tilt, what curve, what response you want, I mean, that's completely up to you. And so, you know, I, I would value that input because a lot of times I'm walking into a gig and I have no idea. I'm like, does this person want this flat? Do they want the, right. you know, they want yeah. the dumpstelt haystack? I have no idea. And yeah. so um, it, it can be tricky to kind of go about my job and hand them a PA that they're going to be happy with if I don't have any guidance on that. Yeah, there's so many different ways you can do it. There's so many tonal starting spots for people, you know? I mean, there's just, I, I get it, man. Um, I would love to do systems engineering. I'm too far down the path that I am now, and I like what I do, but, like, I really, I, I, I like it. I like it. With um, with uh, I guess with Chesney more so, like maybe some Bruno. Uh, I imagine you're doing some stadium work as well uh, outside of arenas. Yeah, that's kind of the Chesney thing. Is the you know, the pattern is you know he does a big stadium. Man, I've done more stadiums with him now than anyone. I mean, I went from being a gig I was going to yeah. do once to like I've done it a number of times now. He does a big stadium. Usually, the pattern is he will do like a shed, and it's still the Nashville model, which this that's the only act I've ever done like that before. Right. Um, and they do like, for instance, a shed on a Thursday, a stadium load in day on a Friday, and then some gigantic stadium in the United States, uh, on a Saturday, maybe there's another show thrown in there. Then everybody goes home and they do it again. So yeah, with him now, Bruno, we did stadiums in different places around the world, but not in the States. Um, well, technically we did, we did one in Hawaii, but, um, and I could see the next time it going out, it wouldn't surprise me if that's where it ended up in the States as well, you know, um, that's just me guessing. But so yeah, with Chesney though, it's that's where I get most of my I did a bunch of stadiums with Gaga. Um, I did a lot with her and then everybody else some too, but now it's I've got most of it with Chesney here lately. Right, yeah. So so with uh so with with the with the stadiums, I was curious on um mostly effects, uh reverbs and stuff like that. How how different are you treating those from an arena where you, you know obviously you have some of that natural stuff going on, whereas in, I guess I, I imagine in a stadium you lose some of that. So how how different um are you treating those? Well, and it's interesting. The newer. You know, if you get in one of the older, okay, new stadiums now, even the indoor ones are often, there's a giant overhang. They're all but, they're, they're convertibles or they're, so, you know, they're not, the big open air old school stadiums in the U.S. are starting to be few and far between. Ones that have, that are either smaller, that aren't just the gigantodome. Uh, or something, but and I'm talking about outdoor ones. Now, once you get indoors, forget it, man. It's a wrap. Just hold on and get right. through it. You know, when you're in there, turn all your effects. I mean, not really. You can make it work. Surprisingly, there's some places that I don't know what it is Ford Field in Detroit. 
it's it's not one of the bigger indoor stadiums, but it's still an indoor stadium. I mean, I think of like the Cowboys Stadium in Dallas. It has like I forgot what it is at 100 hertz. It's like an 11 second. Like it's insane, but for whatever reason, this place in Detroit, but it's only like a two tiered stadium. It's funny for me to call it small, but in this, the realm of a lot of these places now that are so big, it's not that big, man. It sounds great in there. You can hear effects, you can hear all kinds of stuff. But, um, so anyway, what I'm trying to say is in the newer stadiums now, they suck. They're horrible acoustically. Um, but a lot of the older ones like mile high or Kansas city, um, some of these ones, man, if it's the air is still, you know, you can get a great mix, almost like a festival mix, like outdoor in a flat field when it's humid and the air is still. You can get an amazing mix. These other places that are super reverberant. And then, yeah, those are the nights where there is zero point. If it's an artist, and I, I don't mind saying it, he's the coolest dude in the world. Kenny cares about everything. He's another one of those superstars who's just got it. He doesn't listen to a lot of board mixes. Like as long as I've got it good out front, he's cool, you know? So I don't need that verb to make it to anyone where my job's going to depend on it. So I'll turn it off, you know? I have no problem doing that. Um, so a lot of times it's just if it is a more reverberant area, yeah, the, the effects go away. Um, but uh, if it is controlled in any way, I'll leave them in, you know? And I've been thinking about this a lot lately too, just about – just about that whole concept. Half the times when I've got something going on effects wise, I'm doing it for me or I'm doing it right. for, because right. the artist listens or speaking of Pooch, he and I had a good conversation. Like he's got this cool thing he always does where he puts verb on the kick and snare to kind of gel them, you know, as one. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. I was like, you know, I'll do that every now and again for an obvious effect, but not usually for a subtle thing. And I said, and then, you know, sometimes once we get in a big room, I just turn that shit off anyway. And he's like, you know, he's like, I get it, but I would argue that it does matter. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Because I'm the same guy that often says, in these big venues, we have everything in the world working against us. In any little bit, whether it's a higher sample rate or just a little bit extra you put into the mix is going to help get us up and over all of those things. And so Pooch is right in the way that he's thinking, and I am too. Yet in the moment, sometimes I will do anything for perceived clarity, even if it's placebo. So I'll turn off vocal verb and convince myself that that just cleaned up the vocal. When maybe it did, maybe it didn't, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then, so uh, do you do you store any type of presets? So like, hey, I'm in an open air stadium today versus a closed stadium, or is it just a manual that night? Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dial this the reverb time back or something like the that. Way, like how, you- yeah, the way I do it, it it varies. Okay, things like, well, first of all, if there is a, and I was thinking about this today when I was like getting some air, I was like, you know, there's so many times where this is just truth be told, if it's a really good vocalist and I can get away with it, if it's a bad environment, it is their vocal. I might have a lot of cool effects that I've made in rehearsals. That In that moment, it might be a dry-ass vocal with only a, de- a delay throw every so often that is like a signature delay to the song or something. You know, So those are set in stone, but those are always fired off of a sin. Um, so the faders, it's wherever. So that's always a physical throw. I might have like quarter notes, an eighth note delay, something like that program where they're static under the vocal. But a lot of times when it comes to reverbs and any sort of modulation bass effect, they oftentimes aren't subject to snapshot recalls. Like they're, I put them where I want them. And it it does change. And I'll know like, "Mm, if it lands at negative, that verb lands at negative 12, you'll hear a tail, you'll hear it on if it's going to recording to video, you'll hear it everywhere 
you know, I'll just kind of learn the ballpark spots of what works. But those those things, reverbs and uh, modulation kind of things, they they move. They're not often slave to any snapshot recall. I love the the kind of the peek inside the philosophy there because I I, I say this a lot, but I mix like a system tech meaning I'm thinking very analytically about mm-hmm. um, you know I'm I'm getting more energy from the room today. So I'm going to use less reverb because to me, it's about getting everything back in the natural space that it wants to be in, you know? And so. (laughs) Exactly. And I start thinking about, I think I said something earlier that I got to go back and listen to this because I liked it where I I was talking about, oh, I know what the room is going to do. And then you end up, and I thought, I said something about, you know, you end up on top of this huge, you know, you're in the, you're captaining this ship and there's whatever I said, 80 foot swells or something. That's true. And it's like a lot of times um, in the middle of a mix, you know, you're, you're working hastily, even if you're calm, even if you've, you've done this a million times, you're working with purpose, you're working for a goal, but you're just sweating, man. Like you're, you're doing these things. And I need to know that that verb reverb effect that I found that was like one of 80 things I'm trying to do that I'm not, it doesn't just keep happening again. I have to pull it back again because I fired a snapshot and I know I've done it enough to know, no, that's something I need to ride manually. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. But then you get, I mean, my buddy Jason Moore, who mixes Train, he said, well, I don't like reverb, so I don't use it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this, yeah, you can do that. Be okay, you That's know what I mean? okay. <laughs> and in fact, you know what, man? A lot of, a lot of and especially in pop, uh, you know, if you listen to modern pop, there's often not a lot of reverb on that. It's delays. It's a ton of delays, and it's people getting really creative with plugins on a lot of delays. And I'm into that. Like, there are plenty of times, even when I can essentially do whatever I want. Like, a lot of times to me, I got to be honest, vocal reverb live, long ones, that is one of the, that is, that is like sub alignment. That is a black art making that work live. <laughs> that it is, it's tough and it can sound great on your near fields it can sound great in your headphones it can sound great on a computer on a studio but whatever reason that that's hard to make translate so a lot of times you want to I, I like to tell people I'll say that I'll say this to Bruno too I'll, I'll be like let me just make it sound like we did something to it and that could mean anything on any input but a lot of times a delay just audible enough for literally anyone to hear it but not smothering is a sign of no yeah that's production they tried they care you know and sometimes that might be enough and that might be exactly what it needs um so i think it's cool when somebody says i don't use reverb like i use it differently on drums than i do on vocals or that i would on an acoustic instrument like it all gets sometimes it's a very much congealed and loud and part of the sound and sometimes we're just talking about you know i've heard people describe it as like that's the shadows that that's the detail you know and a lot of times man we can't even get the detail out like you just want a clear signal and I do. I hear a lot of guys trying too hard to push that verb in the wrong acoustic environment. And I'm like, look, if, if these guys know the song, they know what that dude's saying. If they don't know the song, no one knows what's going on right now because it sounds bad in here <laughs> anyway. And now it's caped in reverb, you know? Right. I mean, I think in the broader stroke, what I really love about that and what I, I kind of want to imp- impress upon the younger folks who, who listen to this uh, podcast, like it's okay to say, well, I don't like the way that, like this idea that there are these rules that you have to, to go by, um, you know, like find your own path in this and don't feel like you need to do something or you can't do something just because traditionally that's the way it's been done. Um, you know, the other example I use all the time, uh, my friend, my friend Ryan John, he said to me like 10 years ago, 
He's like, well, I, I don't like graphic EQ, so I don't I, use it. And yeah. it, you know, it blew my mind that yes. you could just be like, well, I'm not using it. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you mentioned graphic, and Ryan's a super smart cat. But the, uh, the, and a killer mixer, and, you know, that's one of those guys, too, that, like, that's a confident answer from him. Like, I guarantee you he means every bit of that. And that's cool. Yep. When you said graphic, one thing I thought, there's, and I get stuck in my head, like, ah, that can't be right. That can't be, that doesn't make sense. That, there's no way that I could be doing this with that verb, or there's no way that I could be doing this with the EQ tonight in the room. It's like, there's no rules, and no one, no audience member, maybe a buddy or something, has ever come up to me and be like, let me see your graph. No one cares, you know. <laughs> like nobody, nobody cares. And um, and I used to struggle with that on graphic EQs, where I'd be like, "That doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. That doesn't look right." And I'd I'd freak out about it in my head, at least, you know. And then we got into digital consoles, and goddamn it, there's a graphic representation of what I'm doing. <laughs> and I hate when I go to something and I'm like, "That doesn't look right," you know. And I narrow my cue because the graph the graphic representation on that console looks like the whole signal's gone. I'm like, no, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. No, we, we've actually, uh, in, in a previous episode, we kind of covered that of like, you know, you know, the, like the Q, the Q bandwidth between console to console is going to be sometimes drastically it, different it on both, yeah. both what it sounds like and be what it looks like. And so, yes. you know, we had a, uh, like, like, uh, Will, Will Miller was talking about like, you know, you know, somebody like, like somebody maybe who's so used to living on Yamaha for so much and then they jump over to a Digico and, and you, you absolutely cannot expect that screen to look anything like what you're used to looking like. Yeah, Digico is brutal. If you're, if your yeah. cue is above one point, seven on that thing it's gonna look like you just turned it down 34 db like it's brutal <laughs> don't you know i wish you could turn it off on a lot of desks i really do um just the visual thing so you just don't think about it and that's i mean that sort of goes back to something that we've said in the past too which is you know yeah the screen's there for a reason and, and, and let it give you that supplemental information but at the end of the day the audience isn't watching your screen they're listening to the music so you know it let your ears guide you and, you know, listen to, listen to how that sounds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, that was, uh, Chris, thanks. Thanks for your time, man. This has been a, a real treat to chat yeah, with not you. Not a soon. problem. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's good. Uh, yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I mean, I could, I could, I could go on. For, if there's one thing in the world I can talk about, it's this stuff, you know, so I enjoy it. We'll, we'll have all, to all have you us. back on the show, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Gathering that's, the nerds. That's why we do this because we, you know, we can't get enough of this daily. So we figure we why, why not call people and talk about it more. Very good. That's After great. doing audio all day, we say, hey, what do we should do when we get home? Let's talk about audio. So yeah, no, it's awesome. So thank, thanks again, man. I, I really appreciate your time. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, guys. 